You may not have heard of Earth Overshoot Day. I did not know about this until uh, recently when I was looking at uh, some of the calendar events, and I realized that this is something that we had actually missed. Uh, it's something that occurred this year on July 29th, the earliest it has ever happened. It has been calculated since the mid-80s, and the person who is responsible for a lot of this calculation uh, and who will explain what the hell I'm talking about is Mathis Valkenegel, who's the president of Global Footprint Network. Mathis, thank you so much for spending some time with me on At the Table. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure. What I love about the conversation that you have is talking about sustainability, talking about environmental impact, and you look at it through a financial lens. And this is very familiar to me because I have a wife who works in sustainability and her background is in business and she works on business case development for, uh, she's basically the realist in a room full of idealists <laughs> who often does the kind of work that you're doing. Look at the numbers and, and, and see if this works out in the ledger. So talk to me about the the work of Global Footprint and why you have this particular lens through which you try to view the problem of sustainability. Essentially, we are ecological accountants. So we try to push ecological numeracy, do the math, you know, add things up. And so we do something extremely simple in the end. We compare how much people demand from nature with what nature can renew, because what nature can renew is ultimately our budget of which we um, need to live. And we can compare that by adding up all the areas needed to produce what we consume for food, for fiber, to absorb our waste, to house our cities and roads, etc. We add that all up, which we call our ecological footprint, and then we can compare it with how much area is available that can regenerate these things. And when we do the calculations for the planet as a whole, for humanity, this year we come to the conclusion that using UN data with about 15,000 data points per country and year, you add that all up, we come to the conclusion that we use from nature about 75% more rapidly the fruits of what, they, what nature produces. In other words, from January 1st, to July 29th on an aggregate basis, we have used as much as Earth can renew in the entire year. So that's, of course, an average. It's not so, so absolute. But it, it means that it's like with money. You can spend more money than you earn for some time. It's possible. But the consequence is depletion of your assets going into debt. And that's the same thing we do with the planet. We can use more than Earth can renew uh, on the on the 30th of July, there was still beer in my fridge, you know, so it's not totally finished. <laughs> but <laughs> but overall, we're depleting. And that's what we see in terms of, I mean, it's deforestation, uh, fisheries that get, get weaker, etc. But the biggest of all is the carbon accumulation in the atmosphere that has been rising steadily since the beginning of the industrial age. Again, my wife is, I, I am, because of my background, is kind of the, the talky words guy, and her background is the, <laughs> the, numbers, uh, the numbers person in our marriage. She is the one who is usually alerting me to whether there is a problem in our budget, whether it's ecological or financial. And so I feel like I almost wish that she were the one having this conversation with you because I feel like <laughs> this might be more useful. But unfortunately, the people who listen to this podcast are stuck with me. 
Um, I get. I guess my question <laughs> is: you you talk about this concept of of deficit and and how much we're using versus how much we have available. And I would encourage people to go to footprintnetwork.org. It is a fantastic visualization of what you actually do. There are fantastic questions there that will help you think about the choices we make and and what you do on a, on an individual level. But when you talk about this this bankruptcy, what does that look like? Because I know what bankruptcy looks like when I'm out of money, or as you were describing, you know, the the kind of the, the last few beers in the in the bachelor type fridge. But I think about this in terms of the planet. We're seeing this, and it. it what, what, what's the quote about bankruptcy? It, gradually and then suddenly. I feel like we. When, when do we hit suddenly? That's the question. That's. <laughs> I feel, are we already there? Yeah, I think the analogy is more, I mean, the bankruptcy is not fully there yet. We are, we are depleting, we are, the, the, we are increasing our ecological debt. I think the likeness is more with what we could call a pyramid scheme. I mean, the most extreme pyramid scheme that people talk about is that of Bernie Madoff in financial terms, but actually in ecological terms, we are committing a much bigger scheme even. So a, a pyramid scheme essentially means that you pay the present by robbing the future, it's what we do. And so it, it works as long as you can rob, but then suddenly there's not, nobody to rob anymore and then it comes to an end pretty quickly. Uh, so that's kind of the danger. It's like a runaway train, it's hard to get off, uh, but essentially it's, 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 it's a classical example of a pyramid scheme. When we talk about pyramid schemes though, usually there's someone who's benefiting from that. And I think about the corporate entities, the governmental entities, the individuals who are profiting from all this, who are willing to mortgage or create this, this pyramid scheme for the short-term benefit. And I imagine that you would probably have some pretty stern language for, for those individuals and, and groups, but what do you, what what, how, because you talk about this, and even the calculator that you present on, on on the website is very much in the individual conversation. How do we as individuals, and again, I thought my wife is very into this. I'm very into this. I come from a food hospitality family. I thought we don't waste anything in our house. And yet I did the calculator, and I apparently take up two and a half Earths a year, and that is yeah. that is miserable. And I imagine that's probably not terrible for a you know a relatively chubby American. But at the same time, I look at this. And I think to myself, we there is a bigger conversation happening about individual versus corporate versus governmental responsibility. For the average person who's listening to this conversation and doesn't, like you do, run a, an international organization devoted to sustainability, what can they actually do? Because even if they were to reduce, even if they die tomorrow and reduce their carbon footprint to whatever you know their decomposition entails, uh, they're still not going to pull the lever on the governmental or corporate side. And isn't that where some of this action just has to happen for us to have real change? Let me first admit that our ecological footprint calculator, it's a bit entertaining. It just looks at our individual consumption is a bit of a, a historical accident. It just happened because of popular demand and now we can't turn it off because we have 3 million people a year going to it and we would get too much hate mail if we turn it off. But I mean, it's, I mean, it is useful to understand where you are compared to now what's, what's, what's possible in some ways. But really, I find the more interesting conversation starts at the national level. And when you go to data.footprintnetwork.org, for the data geeks particularly, we have a map that shows for every country where we are at. And over time, uh, numbers go back to 1961. That's when the United Nations started to be quite consistent with their data 
a collection. And so you can see which countries, how much biocapacity, how much regenerative capacity they have. So how big is the farm called Switzerland, for example, where I'm from, and how much does the Swiss economy or for its consumption demand and, and then it shows that currently the Swiss use about four times more than Switzerland can regenerate. In other words, it takes four Switzerlands to support Switzerland. And then the question becomes, is that in the interest of Switzerland? Is it possible for every country to stay or to bank on being a net importer forever? Can everybody have an advantage over the others? And then you look at math and you realize it's not possible that everybody can beat the average for every import you need to have somebody who exports otherwise it's not going to balance out overall so we're putting ourselves into a risky situation so it's not so much about individual suffering and sacrifice it's actually much more recognizing that not being resource secure in a world that we overuse is becoming an increasing economic risk and that's economic risk right because currently financially it still doesn't show up and that means the market is not reacting to this incredible imbalance, which means rather than slow adjustments to this reality, more likely will be disruption. And that's more difficult to, to deal with. Wasn't there for a long period of time, and my background, as I mentioned a moment ago, is political science and not economics or history, which would have been more useful for the question. Maybe I would have been able to, to answer it without asking you. But I seem to remember there being a principle that, that was discussed where you would talk about everyone could be a net importer in the sense that, or, or you know, that you have this kind of balance in the sense that what they make in Switzerland is not makeable as efficiently elsewhere. So what what is is made in uh, you know Cambodia and what's made in Switzerland? These are their different natural resources, and so you can have imports across borders, and you can have there be efficiency. And that for a long time was an animating principle of the idea that you could have these these trade cycles that uh, that that manifest and, and and create development and wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Or was this a lie that we told ourselves to uh, to feel better about the fact that we were? Exploring Exploiting other countries. Which, which version of this is it? It's a bit, a bit of a mixture. I mean, there are great benefits from trade. For example, Switzerland cannot grow oranges, but Spain cannot grow apples so well. So we can send apples to them and they can send us oranges and both can have a much more flavorful fruit um, uh, plate. You know, So, so, so there, there's advantages to trade. It just becomes problematic when you look at it kind of more from a qual qualitative basis. If you say like some nations like Switzerland, they're just export ideas and financial services and then they import resources from all over the place i mean it's not problematic if there's enough world out there but in a world that is ecologically overused to rely continuously and forever on being able to get more from the others than than, than you have yourself just becomes a risk exposure uh, it's like so so the singapore's or the hong kong's or the switzerland's are not wildly replicable. I call it sometimes tongue-in-cheek. I call it kind of the Bollywood effect. It's like to say, oh, look at the Bollywood stars. They're so wealthy. It's incredible. Just become a Bollywood star. Just learn how to dance and sing. But the problem is it takes a million people of that view, uh, for a million viewers per Bollywood star. To, 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 so it's not a replicable, it's not a replicable strategy. Um, did this, so, so did, need... this ad, did this analogy, by the way, in your life come from a failed attempt? I would love if there's some, <laughs> some video I'm out there. 
I there. I sing and dance every day. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, I will search down that video as soon as I can. Uh, YouTube can't hide anything anymore. That's yet. true. That's true. <laughs> We're exposed. What about some some other considerations? Again, I think about the the analogy you make of investment and financial health, and and we talk about biological footprint, but I think also of biological diversity. One of the things that yes. we talk so much about by doing agriculture, for example, at scale, one of the one of the deficits we achieve is uh, a shrinking of diversity of the crops that we end up growing. Uh, and so is this similar uh, to, to try to torture your analogy into my question format? Would this be similar to like portfolio investment where we're essentially putting all of our, our eggs in the, you know, these three cow baskets? I, th- this is a very bad, I, I am clearly not a farmer, so please forgive <laughs> or a rancher or anything like that. So please forgive me. My, my agricultural naivety. <laughs> um, I, I mean, there, there's so many um, there, there's there's so many different risks we run. I think it's actually I would I would rather bring it to another analogy about kind of I think where the narrative is a little bit confused right now because obviously the use of of, of nature so, so so the regeneration is the ultimate resource that we have and so now we talk a lot about climate change which is a big part it's one of the competing demands uh, but in the end it's limited the, the use of fossil fuel is limited by how many uh, renewable resources we have to absorb the waste overall unfortunately the narrative around climate change is very much focused just on carbon and when people hear carbon they think what's in it for me to reduce my co2 emissions just to so just to help humanity so what should i do me little person like the world is going totally out of control but i can't do anything about it i'm too small or my country is too small but the reality is quite different i would see kind of the resource situation and climate change more as the context it's more like a global storm that is coming up on the horizon and you sit in a boat and why do we say in this boat let's not fix my own boat until everybody else is fixing their boat no if the storm is coming fix your own boat and i think that's a situation to start to recognize it's about our situation our city needs to be prepared it's not about whether we do as much as our neighbors that's totally irrelevant for the storm but when you talk about again thinking about this from the lens of the individual versus the corporate versus the governmental the conversation tends to focus on individuals and again kind of this what can i do but for most people the thing that they could do and certainly there are things that we could all do on an individual level that would make a big impact we could live in smaller houses we could fly less often etc and those would be relatively outsized impacts for us as individual people but the biggest lever i have is it not as a citizen especially of a democracy would be my vote and what I can do to try to influence the levers of power in my government? Or is that, would you not agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, and they, both these activities don't exclude each other. But I think we only will act once we feel skin in the game. That's the interesting thing about Greta. I don't know how much you have followed Greta Thunberg, the young oh, yes. girl in the United States, sailed over the Atlantic. And interestingly enough, she's not a addressing the issue from a moral perspective. I mean, she's morally motivated possibly, but ultimately she feels that the older generation is destroying her life. She feels personally threatened by the situation. So she goes to older people and says, 
Why are you trying to kill me? And why have you not fixed this problem? Why are you even listening to me because I'm not even a scientist? You know, I don't expect anything from you. So that's kind of, a, that's talking from her own kind of, she has skin in the game. She thinks that needs to be solved. And I think as long as we don't feel skin in the game, we don't act. But the tragedy is that we don't see the skin in the game. I see too many cities. I live in a progressive city myself called Oakland, you know. So where it's all, oh, how can we be the best city in the world and be nice to humanity? While in actuality, we should think, how can we prepare Oakland for being able to, operate in the world that is quite predictable so to continue to build fossil fuel dependent infrastructure right. today is just absolute insanity because we build things that would be less and less valuable in the future and not only that they will lose value at the time when the economy is frail so so it's not about is oakland nice to the world but why is oakland destroying oakland I don't understand, and what I don't understand even more is why are the Oaklanders in Oakland not upset about Oakland destroying Oakland? <laughs> so, so, so it's much more. I mean, it's much more direct, and it's uh, and the, we know more about the future than we may want to know. Well, so that, why did we take advantage? Well, of that? and that does seem to be the kind of you know fingers firmly planted in the ears of of this discussion, especially when I think about the context of living in a in a country where we have essentially one of the only political parties on the planet that denies the the human impact of climate change. But before I get too political, let me actually switch gears and go personal for a moment, which is you talk yeah. about skin in the game. And, and I've mentioned my wife several times already in this conversation. One thing that, that listeners to the podcast know is that she's also about four and a half months, almost five months pregnant. And so I think about I'm 35, she's 35. We we're bringing a child into this world. I know that there's a narrative that millennials, my my generation, you know, slightly older than Greta, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we are a little gun shy on bringing kids in and the, the, the narrative goes that because so many of us are sad and and and, and forlorn and, and apprehensive about the the burning planet that our parents and grandparents generation have created and I'm not blaming you specifically Mathis but I am saying that uh, you know have I done wrong by by doing this and and you don't know my child yet so you can you can uh, you know you you can uh, accuse me of anything you'd like but but you know have, have we done a bad thing again talking about this this personal response Responsibility by enlarging the the bio demands of the planet by adding another human being to it in the near future. I'm sure it's going to be a lovely child. <laughs> and, and just, what, a, what a political <laughs> answer, by the way. I've been working in Washington for 12 years, and that's the most I've ever felt political in, in an answer. I, I cannot wait for your Senate testimony, sir. <laughs> so, so when we look at the big factors, we we, we have. Because of Earth Overshoot Day, actually the bigger story we want to bring out is what we call move to date. And 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 the Minister of Environment of France at the point, he kind of came up with this gesture to put up the hand and writes in the hand, move to date. And the hand has five fingers and five is actually the numbers of things, like big areas where we can intervene. One, the thumb represents how we can improve nature's capabilities and, and biocapacity by looking after it and making sure it's, it works well, we don't deplete the soils, etc. The other four fingers, they are representing our demand. What are the big drivers of our demand? And they have individual components and social components. So one is how do we build our cities? Compact, very well integrated cities are far more efficient for our lifestyles than very spread cities with inefficient housing and, and 
lots of transport. The second one is how do we power ourselves? Obviously, a, power, a coal power plant uses much more uh, of nature's capacity uh, than a wind farm or, 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 or photovoltaics, for example, per kilowatt hour electricity. The third one is how do we eat there? I mean, we need to eat a certain number of calories, but are we high on the food chain or not? Do we have a lot of food waste? That's the third one. And the fourth one is demographics overall. Like, of course, we, we want to have children, otherwise we don't exist anymore. But for example, if worldwide today we start to have family sizes on average, like in Spain, Portugal or Italy, where I still see children play in the street and it's quite a lovely place and they have no restrictive family policy. But if you had these kind of family sizes of, of, of those countries in the Mediterranean, we would be back to 4 billion people by 2100. Uh, but if we continue just on the middle road as now, it would be about three times more, 12 billion people, or even up to 16 if it doesn't slow down too much. That's These are the, the UN projections. So, uh, so it makes a big difference over time whether we do encourage smaller families or bigger families. Uh, like a factor three in available biocapacity makes a huge difference in our ability to live well or not so it's not about when you say factor three what, what are you what so, are you, what so whether the... we are four billion people or 12 billion people makes oh, I see. yeah it makes a huge difference and and uh so, so it's not about children or not children. of course you should have children the question is how many my last question for you you've mentioned uh regenerative capacity and one of the things that i've enjoyed uh one of the things that i'm mo most hopeful about is when you talk about some of these uh abilities to increase our capacity some of the the conversations i've seen where you've discussed i know that there's no silver bullet i know that there's no way to get our capacity to to live the lives you know at or above the the current lifestyle that we're all enjoying but what is the best way that we can do to increase that capacity? And, and then the, the second part of this, maybe even the bigger part of this, is what gives you hope when you think about these questions? Because obviously you're doing this work. You see the numbers that my wife sees, that, that a lot of people in that sustainability sphere see, and they all you all know it's bad. So when we talk either about regenerative capacities or other ways in which we can bend the curve in the right direction, what is hopeful for you at this point? I mean, there are enormous things that can be done. I mean, the people's creativity is infinite. If we really focus our mind on something, it's incredible what we can achieve. If you think of, for example, the airplane industry, I mean, flying is inherently quite difficult. A hundred years ago, every 6,000th flight or so ended in death. And today it's one of the most safe ways to be transported. That's human achievement, like what we can achieve. Now it's not applied to sustainability, but just as, a, as, a, as an achievement in, in human culture, it's quite amazing what we have been able to generate together. As it's, and it requires incredible collaboration. Um, so if I can talk about one silver bullet, it would be the following. I think as long as we continue to say, I should, we should, you should, nothing is gonna happen because we hold the whole conversation as kind of a noble thing, let's be nice. When we say should, we really indicate we don't want to do it. <laughs> let's just say, I want. If you don't want, then say it. But if you want, say, what do you want? I want to live in a city without cars. I want to be powered by 
solar energy. I, I want to live in a world where everybody has equal rights. And so once we identify what we want, we can pronounce that. That becomes our identity. That becomes our passion. That becomes our compass. And that's then what we want to do. It's very interesting, this kind of core idea of skin in the game. I met just recently somebody with this disability and she told me, she said, yeah, I actually didn't think about climate change much, but suddenly I got interested because I got a letter from the utility that said, because of forest fires in California, we will have to turn off electricity because there were forest fires from time to time. I said, oh my God, but my wheelchair needs electricity. My elevator needs electricity. I need a breather at night that has electricity. This is going to kill me. So she felt skin in the game mean and say, oh my God, we have to do something. And I think it's that kind of sense that what does it mean for my life? What do I really want? What do I identify with? If we start to talk, more about what we want, how, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of solutions we want, given there's only one planet we can live off, then I think it starts to change because if we want, we will be able to do it. Well, I have been very lucky to be able to say I want to have a different kind of political conversation that I want to make sure that the type of uh, discussion I have is policy-based and it's smart. And I really thank you for helping me achieve uh, my desire this this for, for this conversation. Uh, and I really uh, appreciate the time today. Mathis Vakanegel is the president of Global Footprint Network, and he was uh, very kind enough to join me from London. Thank you so much for the time today. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Jared.